WTSA. And the time of day has arrived mm. for the Jack Riccardi Show. Jack? I think it's uh, it's one of my favorite times of day, actually. <laughs> it's it's the peak of my day as well. I uh, So, well, thank you for saying that. Um, look, we uh, we have had our fun with Joe Biden and teleprompters, have we not? I mean, it's it's... It's like it's a comedy duo, you know, if you think about it. I mean, you just put the two together, and you've, you've got some guaranteed knee slappers. But did you see where he was reading a, um, a URL off a teleprompter, and he read out the dot, he spelled out dot as D-O-T? Mm-hmm, yeah. And, I, you know, it can happen. I mean, they, I, I don't know if somebody actually spelled it out that way or if he thought to do it. But you know what I do wonder about? Have you ever, does it ever bother you when people, when they're giving a website, Christian, say www? Yeah, that's so 90s, isn't it? Like what? There, I mean, unless I'm missing something, and correct me if I am, there's no need for that, right? Like that, that's never necessary in the, you know, imparting a, a website, right? No, and as a matter of fact, you can, in search engines today, you can just type out the name. Right. If that's correct. Right. You don't need the www dot. No, no. It, that's and, old You school. don't need the HTTP colon. So, right. <laughs> I never knew what that was. Am I anyway? dating myself now? Okay, maybe we're going too far back <laughs> right. now. It's like going to black and white movies now. But anyway, yeah. Yeah, when people do the www, I, I, I want to, you know, you almost want to raise your hand and go, now, this internet, tell me more, you know, like, but anyway. All right, so there's some breaking news this afternoon, some things that have just uh, made the made the news I want to run by you. First of all, here, 210-599-5555. We just found out that Boston University, which is my alma mater, but this is not why I'm telling you this, uh, they are having to defend this afternoon the revelation that they have been doing COVID-19 research where they've taken the Omicron strain reworked the spike proteins, and now it has an 80% mortality rate in mice. And when this came to light, there were a lot of questions among Republicans and Democrats and the Congress and in the Biden administration and in the international scientific community, like, why are you doing this? And is this not gain-of-function research? To which they are replying, no, it's not. And it's being misrepresented, and we got clearances, and we are performing under the uh, guidelines uh, of the FDA and international governing bodies. And this is going to be beneficial, says Boston University, because if we can uh, work on those uh, spike proteins, we can have better targeted therapeutic interventions. But, of course, the other thing you think about, right, and this is, you know, I, I realize this is movies and television and books and stuff but the thing you think about is well okay you're working on it you're in a lab what if it gets out of the lab and you're in a a major american city you're not in wuhan which was bad enough as we came to find out but you're in a major american city um how, how confident are you to hear that this is going on when they say don't worry We've got it all buttoned up and locked up, and there are safeguards and redundancies. What, what, what do you think of that? And, I mean, we probably don't think a lot in our daily lives about the fact that, yeah, there, are, there obviously are people all over the world working with this virus and working with other viruses and other things. I, I know that has to happen, and it's way above me intellectually, but 
Um, there's something about would we have would were they going to tell us or <laughs> did we find out because somebody leaked it? Again, I don't mean to rely on books and movies, but you know, in in fictional versions of this story, there's always somebody in the lab who is so troubled by what he or she sees that they go and become a whistleblower, right? They leak it. So I'm just kind of curious to get your reaction if you're hearing this for the first time. Uh, scientists at Boston University defending their COVID-19 research in which they've taken the Omicron virus and made it much more lethal. And then we just got word minutes ago, right before the show started, the federal jury uh, has found Igor Donchenko, the guy that uh, was the key source of, of info for the Steele dossier. So he was sort of the, the main source uh, for the Steele dossier. He, he has been found not guilty. He has been acquitted of making false statements to the FBI. This doesn't come as a huge surprise. Um, the Durham prosecutions have been pretty unsuccessful because he's going into, obviously, territory with jury pools that are not receptive and I, I personally don't think this is a, a shocker or a game changer, but uh, it'll be played up big this afternoon and tonight in certain places to say, well, you see, um, the, the, the Durham prosecution was a farce and it needs to be wrapped up and he's not getting any prosecutions. And, and of course, the other side will say, but look at all the things we've learned. Look at all the abuses. Look at all the revelations uh, that have come out of these investigations. And then I was reading, uh, you know who uh, Jonathan Turley is, right? The legal scholar, George, I think he's, uh, what, Georgetown University, I think. Jonathan Turley um, has written about Sheriff Salazar. And I'm just going to read you what he, what he wrote um, and see what you think about this. This is from his blog, Jonathan Turley's blog. Bear County Sheriff Javier Salazar made national headlines by opening a criminal investigation into the recent flights uh, arranged by Florida of undocumented immigrants to Martha's Vineyard. I have previously written about the dubious claims of kidnapping and human trafficking made by figures like Hillary Clinton, Turley writes. Now, Salazar, listen to this, is certifying the roughly 50 individuals as crime victims despite the lack of any criminal charges, in order to qualify them for immediate visas. While this is clearly not human trafficking, Turley writes, Sheriff Salazar is working with immigration advocates to use a law designed to protect victims of crimes and human trafficking, even before any such charge is brought by prosecutors, much less proven. The move could be denounced as itself an inducement, even a political exploitation, of migrants who must cooperate with an investigation in order to qualify. So he's basically saying Sheriff Salazar has decided, without proving it, that the airlifted illegal immigrants are crime victims. He has thereby put them in a position to get visas, and he has obligated them, as a condition of getting those visas, to cooperate with his ploy or his tactic. So they have a choice. They can either play along with how he's playing it and maybe get to stay in this country, or if they were to say, hey, that's really not what happened, well, then sorry, you're not getting a visa. What do you think about that? 
You know, we've known Javier Salazar in the media. We've known him for years because before he was elected Bear County Sheriff, he was a public information officer for the SAPD, and I have to say he was one of the best we ever worked with. I think I can say that for the people in our newsroom and, and other newsrooms. I think they would agree he was one of the best at it and most uh, cooperative and open. And so I, I really didn't expect Javier Salazar to turn into an intensely political sheriff. I mean, I get that he's a Democrat. I get what you get from Democrats these days. But um, this is a job, being the sheriff of the county, that demands pragmatism, that demands just, just sticking to the basics and getting them right, operating the jail. Um, you know, you've got to be, you've got to have credibility across the board. This isn't a job like being you know, you could say when people are elected to a legislature, well, hey, they can be ideological, they can pick their lane. If they want to be AOC, they can be AOC. If they want to be Chip Roy, they can be Chip Roy. He's going to be on our show in about uh, 20 minutes. But Salazar is in a, in a different job. This is a, you got to do this job. Okay. This is like, you know, being elected to a, an actual pragmat, pragmatic, um, uh, practical, that's the word I'm looking for. Uh, position. You're not casting votes. You're not expressing opinions. You're not giving speeches. The law is the law. And he's, he's turned into a, a political sheriff. And again, this happens all over the country, but typically the people who act this way in office, and I'm thinking of even like these DAs that are being recalled in California, they're political, but they run, they run that way. They tell you when they run, they're going to be a George Soros prosecutor, basically, right? I think Salazar didn't tell us that. That's my take. I, I think he led us to believe he was kind of every man, and that's not the case if what if what Jonathan Turley is writing is true, and I have no reason to think that it isn't. We're going to get your reaction to that, 210-599-5555. Speaking of spin, ICE is uh, spinning their fiscal year 2021 arrest and deportation numbers. Now, just to cut to the chase, these are the lowest numbers ICE has reported in over a decade. So in other words, what they're having to explain is why were so many fewer people, I mean a massive decline uh, in the number of people arrested or deported at the border. What is this all about? Well, here's their spin. First, they're blaming Trump. They're saying that fiscal year 2021 was the aftermath of his broken immigration policies. Then they're blaming COVID, which obviously is you know a card you got to play, right? And then they're saying, well, the countries from which these uh, people came are not cooperating with us, which doesn't seem like it would suddenly have been a thing in 2021, like they were very cooperative up until then, and now in 2021, these other countries weren't cooperating. And nobody's buying that crap, right? I mean, that's ridiculous. So what are we left with? We're left with they're just they're lying. They're, they're spinning and they're lying, and they're lying about something we can see with our own eyes because if you live in this part of the country, you know about the getaways, and you know about the insecurity and the porosity of the border. You you can't fool people that are seeing it with their own eyes. And that made me think about war. Now, I hope that we are not headed for a war over Ukraine. But I also hope that we're not headed for a war anywhere with anybody while Joe Biden is president. But imagine if we were led into war by the people who were lying about the border. Imagine if, imagine if you had to get your info about casualties, about 
material losses to planes or ships or what have you. Imagine if you had to get your info, and the only place you could get it would be your government, these people, this regime. I mean, we've been lied to in war before, like obviously Johnson and Nixon lied their heads off about Vietnam, Bush lied about WMDs, but but this is like a whole new, we're like in a whole new territory, I think. If they lie about stuff we can see with our own eyes, imagine the lying they would do about, about a war being fought on the other side of the world. And they're choosing not only what they tell you and not tell you, but they're also choosing who gets to go and, and observe and, and be embedded, if anybody, right? They're making those choices. And do you think they are going to embed journalists who they are afraid would cross the party line or, or counter the party line? Do you think that somebody like uh, Matt Taibbi or Matt Walsh or uh, <laughs> would they would they let Joe Rogan go to the front? I don't think so. I think they'd let MSNBC and CNN and NPR go and carry water for them. I, but but that kind of is what it put me in mind of. You know, the border we can see. War is something you have to be able to trust your government on. Or not. I'm, I'm curious what you make of this story that broke today about gain of function research on COVID at Boston University. So in the city of Boston, in the university's medical laboratories, they are defending the revelation that they have taken the, the Omicron variant manipulated the protein spikes, and reportedly with an 80% mortality rate in mice. And is that, or does that strike you as something that just should not be going on? Does it strike you as, hey, maybe we're not getting the full story? Uh, or maybe you're thinking, hey, I, I'm, I'm glad people are manipulating this thing and working with it because, you know, that, that gives us better tools or a better understanding so it doesn't control us or, or, or become a weapon in the hands of, of a foreign government or, or even our own government. I, th- I think you could argue that, uh, COVID-19 became a, became a weapon in the hands of our own government there for a while. Whatever it was intended in its origins, that's what it wound up being. Uh, so what do you make of that story? 210-599-5555. I'm keeping an open mind, but I will tell you, I, I don't have a lot of confidence when you tell me, oh, there's no way it can get out of the lab. I guess I would be happier with maybe a, a more specific explanation of that. You know, when you just, you, you, just, just trust us. There's, there's no way. Does, doesn't really work. Doesn't really work for me. I, mean, I probably have watched too many movies, read too many books. Uh, two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. I saw this meme. The people who shut down your businesses and killed your careers are now asking that you reelect them so they can keep their jobs. Pretty much sums it up, right? And. Um, With less than three weeks to go before the midterms, here's President Biden making a new promise, or not really a new promise. I guess this is the reiteration of an old promise. Um, He was speaking at a fundraising event for the DNC in Washington, D.C., and he said um, if voters give Democrats the Senate majority, 
he will send a bill, first thing he'll do in January, is send a bill to codify Roe v. Wade. I promise to do it, says President Biden. If you give me two more senators. I promise you, I promise you, I promise you, he said three times. I wonder if he clicked his heels, too. I've always laughed at this because it's such a it's such a, a a come on line from the Democrats to their own base. You know, you guys had the majority numerous times in the fifty years since Roe v. Wade. Numerous times you had majorities. You had a president. You were flying under the radar compared to now. You could have codified it. You didn't, and and there's a good reason why you didn't because it would have been complicated for you back home in the district. Each member would have had issues with and complications with defending that vote. And that's why they didn't do it, and that's why they're not going to do it now. But it's such a good pro- – he can't help himself, you know. He wants to play the oldies. And this is – I mean, maybe you don't care one way or the other, but, boy, if they fall for this, they deserve Joe Biden. They really do. Uh, 210-599-5555. All right, so anyway, we got the uh, the COVID research story in the news. David is on – 550 and 107.1 KTSA. David, good afternoon. Good afternoon. I'd like to take you back about two or three years. I'm pretty sure we had this exact same conversation, and it was pointed out that uh, President Obama had shut down gain-of-function research. How exactly is this again in the news? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Do they just think that now people are immune to it and nobody will care and they can sneak one by us all? And obviously, yes, that is what they think. Well, I mean... The same same reasons why they shut it down the last time around still apply. mm -hmm, There mm -hmm. is no demonstrable benefit. But now they think they can just, you know, everyone's kind of forgotten about it or become numb to it, and so they can just sneak another one by us. Well, for all I know, it's happening in other places, and this is just the one we heard about. But, yeah, I, 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 I agree. We keep, we keep being told that this is nonsense talk and it can't happen. And, and you know, when, when Rand Paul asks uh, Fauci about it, Fauci acts like, you know, like they insulted his grandmother. But, but yeah, I mean, clearly it's it's still happening to this literally to this very day, at least in at least one uh, major American university. 210-599-5555. Steve's on KTSA. Hi, Steve. Hi, Jack. Boy, just a few weeks out from the election, and the uh, the Democrats are showing all their cards, who they really are, uh, with this announcement by Biden that he's going to do whatever he's going to do now to buy more votes. But with the uh, with the with the gain of function research stuff, there's a there's a little known movie out there called Carriers. It's along the lines of Outbreak and Contagion, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. without the big name stars. But mm-hmm. about within about ten, maybe fifteen minutes of the movie beginning, there's a sign posted over uh, a, a dead corpse. It's very very telling. I don't want to. I don't want to ruin it for anyone, but if you if you get a chance, watch the movie Contagion. Five or ten minutes. Well, in. tell me. I mean, now, I, reason, I, I can't watch it right now. How does it connect to this story? What's the what's the connection to this story? Gain of function research, Wuhan fraud. Chi doctor. Okay. The reason that they're doing it, Jack, is because we're how many years into this thing now? Doctor Fraud Chi and the Chinese. No repercussions. 
no re- no responsibility, yeah. no no yeah. no nothing. And you just said a little while ago they they have a guy that uh, they were trying for uh, buying the uh, sealed dossier and all that. Mm-hmm. Not guilty. Mm-hmm. As mm-hmm. long as they continue to get away with it, they're going to mm-hmm. continue to get yeah. away with it. That's the theme of the year, getting away with it. Steve, thank you. Good to hear from you. Joining us now in the KTSA Connecticut Quality Water Softeners Newsmaker Line is United States Representative Chip Roy. Congressman, good afternoon. Welcome back. Hey, Jack. How are you? Good, great to be on the show as always. We'll try to get to as many things as we can here in our limited uh, time. I'm going to jump right in and start with uh, this. We were just talking about it. Uh, ICE is uh, reporting its fiscal year 2021 deportations and arrests. They're incredibly low, uh, lowest in a decade and a half. They are blaming Trump, COVID, and uncooperative foreign governments. What do you say about that? I mean, among the dumbest things you could possibly say about that, because it's just simply not true. The literal only uh, problem with what's happening with respect to ICE is the political leadership of the Department of Homeland Security, led by the President of the United States, telling the people who work for ICE, you're not allowed to deport people. That's basically what the rule is. Um, You're not allowed to go enforce the law and find people and then remove them from the United States if they are not legally present. When you set that as the standard, your number of removals are going to go dramatically down. And when you open the floodgates at the border and have Border Patrol in the babysitting business and processing people to be let out on parole with a notice to appear, not asylum for the most part, then you flood the zone with our country. You have 100 people on known terrorist watch lists. You have or or affiliated with terrorist uh, countries that are uh, state sponsors of terror. Uh, or you have uh, criminals or people affiliated with gangs. You have fentanyl uh, pouring into your communities. And then you say, oh, yeah, we're going to blame something else. We're going to blame Trump. And of course they are. But it wasn't Trump who lied and stood at the microphone about Border Patrol agents and said, oh, uh, yeah, this is systemic racism. And this is horrifying, even though he had a memo given to him directly from his own personnel and had his own eyes to look at a picture yeah. that Border Patrol yeah. agents didn't whip those people. And he lied about it. That's the kind of people you're dealing with at DHS. Let's talk about the midterms. You were just campaigning with Mike Lee, I understand. How is he doing in in Utah? How are you feeling about the midterms? Well, like everything, right? I mean, there's a lot of important races. you got Evan McMullen, uh, who, you you know, is running allegedly as an independent, but he's a Democrat. He's a Democrat up and down, if you look at his voting record. So he's basically trying to carry out a fraud on the people of Utah by saying he's something he's not. I think people are catching on to that. The more they're now zeroing into it as the election gets closer, it was great to be uh, with Mike. Uh, three days, I, I was up there campaigning. Ken Buck came from Colorado. Russ Fulcher came down from Idaho. Uh, met up with a bunch of the delegation. Uh, Burgess Owens, he's great, you know, former Oakland Raider, great guy, uh, superhuman being. Mike's in good spirits. He crushed Evan McMullen at the debate last night. For anybody who watched it, you would have seen it. I was physically there uh, and then caught a uh, 10.30 p.m. flight to land in San Antonio about 2 in the morning so I could visit with constituents in San Antonio today, this morning. But uh, Mike's doing great. It's a tough race, though. Uh, Some polls show it in single digits. And it's really important that we win that race, not just because we want control of the Senate, but because Mike Lee is one of the finest human beings, Mm -hmm. finest uh, servants dedicated to the Constitution you have in Washington, D.C. So I was proud to be out there fighting for Mike. He, he's he's not even he's not just a Republican. I mean, he he is he is probably one of the best friends the Constitution has. Period. Uh, well, the, what the about? 
if I might well, add, the irony of Evan McMullen criticizing Mike Lee for saying that he's not defending the Constitution or taking on Republicans no. when Mike is one of the few guys who's willing to challenge Republicans for yes. not doing their job or doing what they said yes. they would do. Yeah, no, that's, I mean, there's very few of you who will do that. You're one, he's one. Uh, this, the, you can count them on one hand and have fingers left. Uh, what about the uh, House, the border races for the House here in Texas? Are you uh, involved with, like, uh, the Cassie Garcia campaign or Myra Flores or, or you know, um, Gonzalez, are you, are you campaigning with or for any of them? Yeah, happy to. And, and in fact, a couple of weeks ago, I was down in Laredo with Senator uh, Cruz and we were down helping Cassie Garcia uh, because Cassie is a dear friend. In fact, she and I worked together uh, when I was Ted's chief of staff working for Ted. Uh, I'm going to be at an event uh, with Cassie here in about an hour in shirts uh, a little less than an hour, and uh, in fact, I'm calling you from Shirts, and uh, we'll be, be happy to be helping and meeting with a bunch of people here. Tom Emmer from the National Republican Congressional Committee will be here. Uh, Kyle Sinclair tonight, by the way, I'll be doing an event with him in San Antonio. He's taking on Castro. God bless him, Ford. Mm-hmm. He's a strong candidate. Mm-hmm. Uh, Monica De La Cruz is looking really good. Myra Flores is neck and neck. Uh, and showing a little bit of a, I think, a promise that she can win that seat, even though it's a D plus 10. Uh, things are afoot in the Valley. Things are afoot in South Texas. Hispanics are getting tired of being taken advantage of because Democrats like to talk about brown people as if uh, Nancy Pelosi does when she says they're going to pick our crops in Florida. I think people are getting tired of that crass division by race. They want freedom. They want opportunity. They want security. They want a secure border. They want the America that they came here for their kids. And it is a message that is spreading like wildfire around South Texas. I don't know what the result will be, Jack. We don't know. But we're seeing movement. And it's important movement, and I'm proud to go out and campaign for it. When you, when you look at uh, every survey says that voters care about inflation and immigration and crime, and then you look at the Democrats, uh, the president today promising to codify Roe v. Wade, January 6th, climate change, it, it would appear that they are about as far off as you can be. I mean, I've never seen such a misalignment, but uh, do you think that will work for them, or will that lessen the, the, the red wave for them? Are they, are they going to be able to use the abortion uh, reaction, the reaction to the Dobbs ruling, to cut into those gains you were talking about with either uh, Hispanic voters, African-American voters, w- independent women voters, things like that? No, because the entire constituency for the modern Democratic Party are white liberals in suburbia. That's it. And that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to mobilize their white elite liberals to come out, and they try to do so in the name of being all diverse and all of you know their, their, their old mantra, but they're not actually able to sell that to people who actually are having to pay for their gas at the pump who are having to deal with crime in their neighborhoods, who are seeing what's happening to their families and their friends because of fentanyl pouring into our communities and killing our kids. So, no, it's not going to sell. And, uh, frankly, if you go look at the polling, they put a lot of stock in a post-Dobbs bounce, and that bounce has fallen flat because it turns out the American people actually think it's important to save life. It actually turns out the American people find it offensive that you want to build an entire party around late-term abortion, which is completely out of step with the average American, the average Texan, the average San Antonian. We are moving forward in defense of life and the rule of law, but importantly, trying to root out crime and try to restore prosperity for everybody. And I'm telling you, it's actually selling and it's working in South Texas. 
I need to ask you also about something. I, I was always a, a, a fan of the health savings accounts. I, I thought that was one of the most innovative things that's come along in my lifetime. Uh, you are proposing something similar to those, only different in some key ways. Um, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. The first big bill I introduced when I got to Washington, the first, I guess, bill of huge consequence, uh, was the Health Care Freedom Act. I've reintroduced that here this fall, basically setting the stage for what I want to lead into uh, in January, February. H.R. 9160, again, the Health Care Freedom Act, the very purpose of it is to take the power of health care decisions away from government and corporate bureaucrats, the insurance companies that are currently running your health care, and give it to you to give it to your doctor, to restore doctor-patient-driven health care. We have to, Jack. You cannot save our health care crisis. Where the American people today have had their insurance premiums go up 28.2% in the last year. You want to know what's driving inflation? It's not just gas. It's not just uh, the goods that you're going out and buying at the store. Your health care costs are just yeah. eating away yeah. your budget. And it's because of a alphabet soup of regulations and a cronious system where corporate America is raking in billions of dollars on the back of government regulation, whether it's the pharmaceutical companies in COVID, whether it's the insurance companies under Obamacare. You think you've got coverage under Obamacare? You don't. You've got a, you've got a mandated plan from government where corporations rake in a bunch of money for you to have fewer options. We break the back of that with massively expanded health savings accounts and give you the same tax treatment that corporations get. You do that, yeah. you'll save health care in this country. And so clearly a lot more people would have access to this than, than, than under the old HSA, right? Oh, absolutely. That's actually the point of this bill is to break the yeah. back of the sort of clench that employers have over your health care. Right. I'm, I'm great with employers providing health care, but equalize the tax treatment so that if I'm an, a self-employed individual or if I leave my current employer, I can carry it with me and get the same yeah. tax treatment. If you do that, man, a thousand flowers will explode. You will increase direct primary care options. You'll have as many doctors to go to if we do this right as you do places you can get your oil changed within five miles of your house. But right now you have to call some kid who tells you what's on your insurance plan. It's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. well said. Congressman Chip Roy, always appreciate your time and your availability. Hope we can talk again soon and, and travel safe. Happy to. Thanks for having me on. God bless you. Talk to you soon. So on today's JR poll, the question is, do you like two weeks of early voting, or should everyone vote on the same day? Old school, right? Old school. Election day. Sun up to sundown. That's the day. That's when you vote. What do you think? Do you like early voting or same-day voting? 210-599-5555 in the JR poll. Also get it at KTSA.com. Um, they asked him about... Um, the economy and uh, Democrats running for office in 2022 don't want to talk about the economy. Senator Raphael Warnock in Georgia really did not want to answer a question about the economy and his record. Take a listen to this. Cut number three. We've been talking to a lot of voters who say the economy is the top issue for them. Democrats have been in control of the White House, of Congress for the past two years. Inflation has soared. Why should Georgia voters give you another chance? We are still in the throes of a pandemic that dragged on for more than two years. Oh, my gosh. Give it a rest. This is the hardest working pandemic ever. It not only had to infect a bunch of people, 
but it has to carry all this water for the Democrats. I mean, it, the, 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 the pandemic is tired. The pandemic wants to take a breather. It wants to sit out under a tree and drink some water. It's tired. Oh, well, my answer is the pandemic. They can't talk about this economy. They can't talk about the border. They can't. But they can talk about the pandemic. We're still, and and by the way, how can we still be in the throes of of a pandemic, Senator, when the president of your party told uh, 60 Minutes that it's over? By the way, if we're still in the middle of a pandemic, Raphael Warnock, why aren't you wearing a mask? Why are there people all around you? I mean, it's just nonsense talk. It is going to be so damn discouraging. I know I know people are worried about the midterms. I, I, I get emails every day. I'm just, What's going to happen? I'm so worried. Tell me where it's going to, it's going to be all right. I, I, I get what you're worried about is the, how it's going to turn out numerically. Like you're, you're hoping for that wave. But I got to tell you, what's going to discourage me more than the size of the wave or the absence of the wave is, is God, if people are still falling for this, I, I don't know how to help them. You know, I mean, I'll keep trying, but come on already with the pandemic. So what I mean about the issues they can't talk about. This was a Harvard poll. All right. Harvard Harris polling. Most important issues facing the country. Uh, top three with voters. 37% said inflation. 29% said economy. 23% said immigration. And really inflation and economy are kind of Related, so that what what you're basically seeing there is almost two thirds of people are saying the, the economy, and then immigration. Um, then they asked the voters. This is the Harvard Harris poll. What issues do you think Republicans are most focused on? Thirty seven percent immigration, twenty four percent inflation, twenty one percent economy almost exactly the same percentages that they ranked the issues they rank republican interest in or or focus on then they were asked what issues are democrats most focused on again asking the voters what do you think the democrats are most focused on 27 percent january 6th 26 percent women's rights 23 percent climate change those are way down low, but those are perceived to be the things, and I think correctly perceived to be the things Democrats are talking about. So I don't know what will happen, and I don't want anybody to get cocky or overconfident, but it will not add up <laughs> if people have seen this so clearly and then return to power, as that meme said. If, if you put the people back in who shut down your businesses and killed your careers, um, you will 100% get more of that. So I was reading a story about a guy who, um, he lives in Colorado, Christian, but he used to live in Wyoming, mm-hmm. and he travels back to Wyoming, and he has an EV. And it, according to him, it took 15 hours to drive from Cheyenne to Casper, Wyoming, which is about 180 miles. I was going to say, it didn't sound like that's that far apart. 
Well, it's not a big, uh, I guess Wyoming is not a big state for chargers. You how, know, charging how many stations. hours did you say? It took him 15 hours. I could I could go DFW to <laughs> Vegas in 15 hours. <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, I mean, I, I'm, I'm sure there are places where EVs have a lot of, EV drivers have a lot of options, but I guess apparently there's some places where they don't. Seems like you'd, seems like you'd research that before you would go. I'd take a like bus. I, I don't have an EV, but I always feel like I would, I would really, before I did anything, went anywhere, I'd have to really think about, is it going to be there? Is there going to be a place? Am I going to have places along the way? You know what I mean? It seems like you'd have to think that through. He said yeah. it was the first time he'd ever taken his EV to Wyoming, um, and it's the lack of the lack of charging stations and having to wait for hours for the vehicle to uh, to charge up. So. You know, I'm all for clean energy, and I don't think anybody disputes that. I'm also a bit spoiled in that I want to get where I'm going in a reasonable. Yeah. I mean, I don't have long to live. Well, that <laughs> one way to put it. <laughs> yeah. um, wouldn't wouldn't really if if this is what we're facing then really the ultimate uh, clean energy vehicle would be to just go back to horses. No, because they have gas. Remember, mm, farm animals, all true. that. You know, yeah, it's a nice true. try, Jack. You, nice try. I'm just trying to. You know me. You know me, Christian. <laughs> yeah. I'm just a problem solver. That's, That's right. Just what I do. So we're getting close to Halloween, and uh, I mean we're already jittery enough about the midterms. So I figured let me let me scare people some more. Let's talk about horror movies. Um, and I realized that we, we did this last year, right around this time of year, and, and we talked about your favorite horror movies, the best horror movies. So I pulled out the list um, from my Manila folder filing system, and I didn't like my list. And it's only a year old, and I'm looking at this list like, who the hell was this guy? It was me. So I threw that out, and I started over again, and I came up with a new list of my 10 favorite horror movies. Um which I'll share with you, and I have shared at KTSA.com. You can check it out there if you want to look at it. Um, these are not necessarily the best. I just think they are the best. It's subjective, totally. Uh, I want to know what yours are. I don't even think these are the scariest, although some of them are scary. But I think these, for me, I picked movies that were both scary, but I thought very well made or very original, you know? And uh, because horror movies are kind of full of cliches and formulas, and I swear there's only about five or six plots, right, that they all use. So what is your favorite horror movie, either the scariest one or the one that you think is is the best made, Uh, one that you can go back to every year or maybe even more often? You're, you never get tired of, of watching it again, re-watching it again. You still jump for the jump scares. 210-599-5555. Your best, your favorite horror movie for the Halloween season. So at number 10, I put a movie that a lot of people don't consider a horror movie at all uh, called The Game, which uh, came out in 1997. It's a Michael Douglas movie. And Michael Douglas is this rich guy who um, basically he's he's so rich he's bored. I would love to try that. So he's living his boring rich life, and his brother is Sean Penn, and Sean Penn is, you know, the, the brother, not Sean Penn the person. His brother is kind of a ne'er-do-well. And he gives them a membership 
to some company or some organization that promises interesting experiences. And when you're watching the movie, you're like, I, I, I wouldn't do this. I wouldn't go. But he does. He signs up for it, and he opens himself up to these. Well, the experiences are a nightmare. I won't blow the whole movie for you, but it totally ruins Michael Douglas's life. I mean, he loses everything. It's called The Game. And I feel like it's a horror movie because you you feel trapped watching him get trapped. And then at number nine, I put Rosemary's Baby because that's just a classic. And um, I have a funny story about that I'll tell you later on. But Rosemary's Baby at number nine. Uh, number eight, I put Terrifier. Now, there's a lot of news right now about the sequel to Terrifier, which is out. But Terrifier is a movie that snuck up on me. It's a clown movie. Some people will just not watch clown movies, and I get that. I'm with you. But I remember coming across this on Netflix, not when it came out, but more recently, and I didn't know what it was. And it, it is unbelievably, I mean, it's the baddest of the bad clown movies. Number seven, I put Texas Chainsaw Massacre. you got to have that. Number six, I put The Ring. And I think The Ring makes a lot of these lists. And, and I know people that absolutely will not watch The Ring, have never watched The Ring. They just, they've heard things about it. There are a lot of disturbing scenes in The Ring. I'll tell you, if you have seen it, the one that bothers me the most is the horse on the ferry. I know this will mean nothing to you if you don't watch these movies, but if you've ever seen The Ring, that deal where the horse jumps off the ferry is, I, it's, Unbelievably hard to watch. Uh, number five, that was number six. Number five, Friday the 13th. Number four, The Omen. I'll, I really like the original Omen. I mean, Gregory Peck in a horror movie. I mean, that's brilliant, right? Number three, Halloween, the original Halloween, where we got our first introduction to Michael Myers. If you think about it, Michael Myers is like the 007 of horror movies. You know, I mean, it's just they keep making them. People say enough. People say it's dated. They keep making them. There's one out right now. Number one movie right now. So number three, I put Halloween. Number two, I put Silence of the Lambs. Silence of the Lambs is another one of those movies that a lot of people would not consider it a horror movie. And I debated this, but in the end, I just love this movie. It's one of my all-time favorite movies without category, you know, just overall. But I think it is a horror movie. I mean, it's it's horrifying. It's got a... Serial killer played by Anthony Hopkins. It's got a great uh, and really appealing and um, watchable uh, lead character played by Jodie Foster. I think it's some of the best work she's ever done. And um, it's got the horror movie stuff, right? It's got it's got lines everybody knows, like fava beans and a nice Chianti. It's got symbols like Lecter's mask, a lot of good gross-out stuff in it. So number two, Silence of the Lambs. We're talking horror movies. We're talking the kind of movies you like to watch on a Halloween night or one of these nights leading up to Halloween or maybe any time of year if you really love them. What's your favorite, all-time favorite horror Halloween movie? 210-599-5555. I was going through the list for me. This is just just one guy's list. and uh, You know, The Game and Rosemary's Baby and Terrifier and The Omen and Friday the 13th and Silence of the Lambs. And I got to say, my number one movie, because I just think it's, it might not be the scariest movie, but it is just such a well-done masterpiece of horror movie making. 
is this one from 1980. Little pigs, little pigs, let me come in. Not by the hair on your chinny chin chin. Then I'll huff, and I'll puff, and I'll blow your house in. Here's Johnny. (laughs) I mean, why open a door when you can stick your head through it, I say. Uh, That's, of course, Jack Nicholson and Shelley Duvall, the president and the first lady of horror movies for me and The Shining. So what's your favorite? 210-599-5555. And Ben is on KTSA. Hi, Ben. How's it going? Uh, To me, the one that left a lot to imagination. They didn't show much. It was Mel Gibson movie Signs. Oh, yes. I you remember that. Sure do. They didn't show much at all, but they really teased your imagination during the whole time. And that's one of the few movies that actually made my spine tingle a little bit. <laughs> I agree with you, because for most of the movie, you, you, you know that there is something out there, but for, the mo- for most of the movie, you do not see it. And you see the reactions of the actors... Right, but not what they're yeah. seeing. Uh-huh. Right. I think you're right it's about until that. Until the very last few minutes uh, that they actually you actually see it, but the lead up to it is really what gets you what gets you going. I think that's a great. I think that is a great choice. It was a great cast with Mel Gibson and Joaquin Phoenix. Yeah, that's a great choice. Thank you, Ben. Uh, signs from two thousand two two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. Chase is on the radio. Hi, Chase. Hey, Jack. Hey, great topic. I love talking about this stuff. The the one I picked was not necessarily a Halloween, but it was horror, and it was great. 1982's The Thing. Oh, yeah. I was blown away by that movie. Uh, and, yeah. and, again, I loved it because I thought it was a guy in a parka, and the, the billboard had a guy with a glowing coat or something. I thought it was going to be a man dressed. But that was blown away by all the special effects. Mm-hmm. Everything was in your face, and it was always you never knew what was going to happen next. So. Great movie. I think that era. Uh, I think that era was the high water mark for horror movies. I, I, re- I mean, you think about all the great ones that came out in the eighties. What decade has oh, more, yeah. more to offer than that one? Right. Yeah, Poltergeist. Like, was that the same? That same year? That same summer? I think too. So, a uh, great. But that thing, the thing was the mm-hmm. best, as mm-hmm. far as I'm concerned. Good horror any time of the year, but great for Halloween. So, great choice. Thank you, Chase. The thing. From 1982, yeah, I mean, the 80s, come on. you got The Shining, you've got Friday the 13th, you've got Nightmare on Elm Street, uh, you, you know, just tons and tons of movies that are, are great, uh, the beginning of great sequels. I know Halloween actually started in 78, but um, so many great sequel series horror movies that came out or started to come out in the uh, in the 80s. And, uh, yeah, 210 599 so what would be your top pick? doesn't have to be a Halloween movie. I mean, it can be just a horror movie, uh, a scary movie, uh, any era, any decade. Um, but what's your, what's your number one go-to, never get tired of re-watching it, 210, 59. It's what you're going to put on when you're in between answering the door on Halloween night, right? 210-599-5555 on KTSA. And uh, Marshall is next on the radio. Hi, Marshall. 
Hey, Jack, it's Marshall, the insurance adjuster. I called you a couple of weeks ago. I was headed to Hurricane Ian. Oh, how are you doing? How did I'm that go? Well, thank you for asking. Um, it was not too bad. Um, it kind of it kind of dried up really quick. Um, most of the damage was kind of in that Fort Myers area, and um, so so my claims were kind of outside of Fort Myers. So ours mm-hmm. ours dried up fairly quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I'm glad you yeah. were able to get there and get back safely too. Yeah, I'm I'm driving in as we speak. I'm literally on on ninety coming going back home right now. <laughs> gotcha. But, All right, um, so hit me with that. your hit me with your scariest of scary movies. American Werewolf in London. Oh, yes, yes. Best best werewolf scene transformation ever put on camera. Yeah, yeah, that is. Uh, yeah. I'm trying to think what year that was in the 80s, wasn't it? Nin- 1980, um, that actually yeah. had David Naughton in it, who was famous for the Dr. Pepper commercials. That's right. That's right. If you remember that. A disco singer. Uh, he had a song called Making It, and he did the Dr. Pepper yeah. jingle. Yeah, I remember him. That's right. He was in that movie. Whoa. Yeah. Look Favorite at you with the footnotes. Right I want you on my trivia. When we do the trivia night, I want you on my team. All right, I like that. Well, Marshall, drive safely. Thank you for doing what you do and, and safe travels back to san antonio american werewolf in london is marshall the insurance adjuster's choice what's yours 210-599-5555 i'll tell you a funny story i sent this list over to don cooper our producer and i don't think he knew that it was my list i just wanted him to have it because we were going to be referencing these movies and he got on the phone with me and he said this list is lame this list I don't know whose list this is, but it's terrible. It doesn't have this on it. It doesn't have that on it. Well, I'll be the first to admit this, this is totally subjective. I mean, you, there is no right or wrong, uh, answer or ranking for any of these. Yeah. I, there's a lot of movies I could have included in my top 10. I didn't, obviously I didn't put Alien on there. I didn't put Misery on there. I didn't put, um, Night of the Living Dead could have been on there. There's a lot more than these 10 that I like. But I had to pick ten. So yeah, I felt I like a little doofus. That. I'm surprised you still allowed me to be part of the show. No, no it, was fun- <laughs> it was funny because I I thought it was still like a national list. And- no, no, no. You were irate. You, know? you were like, this list is awful. <laughs> and so, then I, I looked back. Right. I looked at it again. I said, wait a yeah. minute. This is his list. This is oh, Jack's list. And, yeah. he, and, and it's he, still awful. And he still allowed me to work with him today. It's st- uh, hey. I, the privilege is all mine. By the way, belated, everybody should wish Don a belated happy birthday. Yesterday was Don <laughs> yeah. Cooper's birthday. Thank so you. wish him a happy birthday when you call in. The list uh, is still, the list is still lame though. It is lame. <laughs> I'll be the first to, l- l- listen, I'm lame. You know, you don't get any lamer than me. 210-599-5555. We're talking uh, horror movies. Linda is on KTSA. Hi, Linda. Hi. How are you? Good. How you doing? Real good. Uh, my favorite was the first Exorcist. Mm. Let me ask you, if I may, how uh, like how old were you when you first saw that? Pretty young, and yeah. it was a theater on Broadway, and I had no idea what I was going to see. I went yeah. with a friend. The theater was packed, and I couldn't get out. <laughs> <laughs> I was ready to leave. <laughs> I think, because I really think... That movie in its time, I mean, I can only imagine in its time how terrifying that must have been. I, I couldn't see it when it came out. I was a little possession. kid, but yeah. Yeah, it was one of the first of the possession genre, right. I think. Right, 
And I think people now, because there's been so many of those made, it sure. just, you know, it doesn't have this, but yeah, that, the whole thing with the spinning head and the climbing the wall and <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're right. That is, that's some, that's some depravity right there. Linda, great yeah, choice. Good. Yeah. I mean, that's not on my list, but it, it certainly would be on a lot of people's lists. Uh, the exorcist, uh, we're coming up on the 50th anniversary. I think next year is the 50th anniversary of that. Uh, 210 599 All right. So, um, what is yours? Uh, and you can check my list, by the way, at KTSA.com. But let's talk to uh, John on KTSA. John, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jack. Um, my favorite has always been The Shining, and that was the scariest um, up mm-hmm. until The Exorcism of Emily Rose, which is kind of not my favorite because it's way too disturbing. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know if you've seen that or not. Mm-mm, I have not, no. Based on a true story, they uh, she was under the care of a priest who was doing an exorcism, and then she died under his care, and they tried to mm-hmm. prosecute him for uh, not getting mental help to her. And it's a very... Uh, yeah. I See, like I, don't, I want a horror movie that I'm enjoying, like, the experience. If it's too... Yeah. I don't know. If it's too deep or too serious, then I'm not... You know, it could be scary, but then I'm not having a great... You know, having a great time. So I guess you got to yeah. be able to kind of see yourself outside yourself and be able to say, well, you know, this is, yes, I'm scared or yes, I'm jittery now, but, but I, I'm in the moment. I'm in the experience. You know, I mean, that's, I guess that's, I guess that's a, again, a very subjective thing. But yeah, some of those, you know, some of the ones they're making now for me are just, I don't know. It's not, it's almost like, uh, I would liken it to people that eat hot peppers. You know, you get to a point where it's it's not flavor anymore. It's just pain. And if that's your thing, if that's your challenge to see if you can handle it, that's that's great. For me, I, I want spicy, but only to a point. I want to enjoy it. That's how I feel about the horror movies. Anyway, um, 210-599-5555. We've got Jill on the radio next. Hi, Jill. Hey, Jack. How are you doing? Good, thank you. How are you? I'm good. Yeah, uh, that's Man, you were just speaking to him uh, when he was talking about the exorcism ex- of Emily Rose. I remember that movie. It was very disturbing. Not a favorite of mine. But one that's my favorite is Stephen King's Carrie. That's oh, like an yeah. all-time favorite. Yeah. That was... Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I just saw it the other night again, probably for like the 20th time, and it's it's very weird. And I've always did they um Did they remake that? They remade that, didn't they? Yeah, there was one with Julianne Moore. She played the mother... And yeah. I forget that other girl, the young girl that played her, but I don't I didn't think it was that. as good. Yeah, it's not the same like the original one. Yeah. Carrie with and sissies. Yeah. They say, and she was like, I think, 26 years old when she came out in that movie portraying a 16-year-old. That's what was weird. But she was that, really Yeah, good it's in interesting. It. Yeah, she's a great she's a great actress. Yes, yeah, she was great in that. Yeah. Jill, great choice. Thank you. My, I know uh, my daughter's uh, school... Uh, like a year ago or so, put on as a, as one of their plays the musical of Carrie, and I could not, for the life of me, fathom how that was going to be a musical. And it, it is; it, it, it actually is one, and they did it. But it, I think you got to see the original. I'm with I'm with Jill on that. Nineteen what seventy six? I think two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five for your favorite horror movie. And Robert is on the radio. Hi, Robert. Hi, Jack. Uh, great show, by the way. I just wanted to say, I think, uh, for me, I think uh, when I was a little kid, the one that really scared me was, and it's still, it's a, it holds its own 
It's Jaws. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Now, you know, it's funny you mentioned Jaws because, of course, that was a huge movie, uh, big hit. But it, it doesn't often show up on these lists, and yet I'm with you. It is that's a horror movie. I mean, that's it's got a monster. It's got people getting ripped apart. I mean, those, it's got all the ingredients, right? Yeah, it's a hitch. It's kind of Hitchcock because um, at the very beginning they don't even show the shard. You don't mm-hmm. see. It's not kind mm-hmm. of um, it's basically divine. I read the book. <clears throat> the mm-hmm. book is different than the movie. The book, mm-hmm. the oceanographer dies, and the movie, the uh, Captain Quintas, but uh, it's it's a great. They did a great adapt, uh, adaptation of it. It's just so good what they did with the book. I mm-hmm. I can't. Sometimes you they do an adaptation and it's not even. It, you read the book and it's not as great as the book. Right. But right. this time they condensed all the fact. There was a lot of things going on in the book that they left out in the movie, which was great. Like the mayor was uh, with the mafia. They left all that out of the book. Right. They yeah, they had to kind of streamline it. Yeah. No, that's. I think that was Peter Benchley that wrote the book, wasn't it? Yes, sir. It was Peter Benchley. Yeah. That wrote Fantastic the movie, Jaws. But, Robert, thank you for that. Good choice. 210-599-5555. You can uh, vote for your favorite, either scariest movie, horror movie that you think was really well made, um, one that you like to watch over and over again. Maybe you have a tradition, you watch it uh, with your family every Halloween or something like that. Uh, 210-599-5555. The, um, the, 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 a couple of people have alluded to movies where they don't show you something and that is scarier. I think is a really good vehicle. And unfortunately, Hollywood can't help itself now with all the special effects, all the, the, you know, technology that Hollywood has, they cannot restrain themselves, right? And yet you think about like the scene in Rosemary's Baby where Mia Farrow is screaming, what have you done to its eyes? We never see them, but her face, her reaction, for me, when I saw that movie, it was scarier than anything you could have created as a special effect. You mentioned Jaws, you meant, and, and, and like Signs, the caller who mentioned Signs. You, you go through most of the movie, you're not seeing this, these beings. When you see them, it's almost a little bit of a letdown. I mean, they're good. It's, it's, don't get me wrong. They're pretty nasty looking, but, but by the time you see them in your mind, you've made them even worse, you know, which I think is a great, Technique. I wish they did it more. So we're talking about your favorite horror movie in honor of the impending Halloween holiday. And, you know, there's going to be a lot of uh, showings of these on the classic movie channels and on Netflix and what have you. And, and then, and then, of course, some people will even like plan a night, right? Like you'll have friends over, get pizza and plug in the, the scary movies. So what is your all time favorite? One that you, have seen over and over one that is the standard by which all others are measured uh 210 599 greg is on ktsa hi greg okay we don't have greg let me try jack on ktsa hi jack hey jack ricardi how you doing sir i have three and then i'm gonna throw one more uh it's uh <laughs> okay. amityville horror yeah. Uh, Brian Stoker's Dracula with uh, mm. Tom Cruise in it, and okay. then uh, Fright Night. I don't know who stars in that Fright Night movie, but that was a good one. Fright Night. My name Fright is, Night is and, the uh, one where the kid thinks that his 
neighbor is a vampire, right? Correct. And there's like a, yes. a yes. TV, a, like, like some some cheesy TV guy who does like, uh, who hosts like a movie show, uh, and the kid gets this TV guy who's a total, uh, he's like a real scaredy cat. He, he, he yeah. drags him in to like find out if this guy's really a vampire, right? A vampire killer, but he turns yeah. out to be a wimp, right? Like he's right. And at the end, he kind of gets the vampire. But then it, also, it's a good. That's a good movie. Yeah, no, I think that's yeah. a great. No one ever mentions Fright Night, and I know they made some sequels to it, but you got to see the original one. That one is good. Yeah, that vampire. They made it look ugly at times. You know, he was like when he turned into a vampire. You know, he, he was kind of. Well, you know, I remember watching that movie, thinking I could yeah. see that happening. Like you know, you have it, it, the 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 basic idea is we don't know our neighbors we don't know who these new people are in the neighborhood and that's they made a whole horror movie out of that i love it yeah and then i'm just gonna throw one more real quick okay uh jack the jack the ripper the one that he's in a time machine i don't know if you remember that mm, like, i don't think i, I saw that one a, yeah it was a while back i don't know who acted on that one but it no. was about that jack the ripper and no. you know he was in a time machine or something i don't know you might want to google it i, I can't remember it but you know yeah. good one but, all right there anyway. you go well you know I, I try to avoid jack the ripper movies it's personal for me but uh 210 your hey, favorite horror movie jack was ronnie mcdowell in that uh movie? he was yeah right yeah, he was the guy he okay. is the he's the tv host who yes uh the kid thinks can help him and he doesn't want to and of course ronnie mcdowell was Fantastic actor. He could do comedy and drama and yeah. Very very I don't know the name of the actor who plays the kid, but he's really good. And uh, it's not a it's not a, I think frankly Roddy McDowell might be the only big name in the movie, but if you see Fright Night sometime on Netflix or you know, wherever you stream movies, it's worth checking out. It's uh it's a, it's an underrated uh gem. Um they made a sequel. I wouldn't bother with that. I think they remade it. I don't know about that, like maybe a few years ago. But I'm talking about the one that came out in the like mid-1980s. It's based on a novel that's very good as well. Um, Greg is on KTSA. Hi, Greg. Yeah, sorry. I dropped off earlier. So my favorite movie was The Birds. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And Yeah, that, that movie takes... That. I mean, there's another example of taking something that's... Who, how can you be afraid of birds until you see that movie? And then afterwards, how can you see them the same, right? So there was a bunch of us who were like 12, 13-year-old. We walked out of the theater and watched that movie. We came out, and it was a huge oak tree right outside of the theater. Mm. We were standing around talking about the movie, and a bird pooped <laughs> on one of my buddies. We, we all took off running like we were getting attacked by birds. <laughs> it was an aftershock of the movie. It yep. was funny. Yeah. Power of suggestion, Alfred Hitchcock, The Birds. That's a great one. Thank you. Uh, one of my favorite movies that's not a horror movie is uh, a Mel Brooks movie called High Anxiety. And in the movie High Anxiety, Mel Brooks is riffing on Alfred Hitchcock. It's a tribute to Alfred Hitchcock. Um, he made it while Hitchcock was still alive. Hitchcock liked it. The whole movie is gags and, and spoofs of famous Hitchcock scenes. The scene that pays tribute to the birds is some of the best slapstick you've, you've ever seen. And, and it, 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 I guess it's a tribute, but it also kind of says, you know, this movie is ridiculous. <laughs> you know, I mean, come on. 210-599-5555. We're talking horror movies.
your favorite. There's no wrong answer. Uh, Mary is on KTSA. Hello, Mary. Hi, Jack. How are you doing? One that really, I'm good. I'm good. One that really scared me when I was a kid was that trilogy of terror with Karen Black. Oh, yes. Oh, man, I forgot about that. You know, that little voodoo doll that chases her around. Yeah. Yeah. That and her eyes. Man, Karen Black had some bug out eyes, didn't she? (laughs) I mean, they're like extending like totally out of her skull. I mean, when she looks scared, she's that's how to look scared. Yeah. She might have had a thyroid issue or something. I don't know. See, I thought it was good acting. You're saying it was medical. I don't know. But I remember seeing, I didn't see that in the theaters or anything. I saw it on television. I don't know if that was a theater movie. Was that a, was that a television movie or a theater movie? I don't remember. Movie, I was know? a kid when I first saw it, but yeah, there's three I was different too. stories, and she plays right. in all three of them. Right. Um, but that last one, just it just haunted me as a kid. Yes. Yes. And um, also, I, the... The, what, the other one uh, that I didn't mention to the screener was Silence of the Lambs. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I know some people yeah. don't think that's a horror movie, but I think it qualifies, doesn't it? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. That scared me, too. And um, and that and that movie is one that I, you just you never get tired of watching it, even though you know it's going to happen. It's, it's just so well done that it's enjoyable uh, the 20th time as it is the first time. Great choices. Trilogy of Terror and Silence of the Lambs. I like the way Mary rolls. All right. So it is, uh, I guess we could say Halloween season, if there is such a thing, or the lead up to Halloween. Mm-hmm. And so we're talking about horror movies. And um, we're taking your calls at 210-599-5555. And I think you said you're not a big horror movie guy. You you liked him when you were a kid, but not so much now, right? Yeah, but they made an impact when I was younger. Uh, I yeah. wanted to like them, but you know, and I've heard kind of the some of the background phone calls. Um, I remember the trailer. Do you remember the movie It's Alive? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You remember how creepy that trailer was in about 1979? Just that 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 bassinet rotating with the black background, and then when it turned all the way around, this creepy hand hanging <laughs> over the side. It's incredible how they can take things that, until you saw it in a horror movie, were not at all scary. Yep. And then afterwards, they now have that. I mean, the, I guess the ultimate example would be a clown, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like whoever first thought, I don't know what was the first clown movie. I have no idea. But, I mean, whoever first thought this could be terrifying. And now, I bet you they've ruined the clowning industry. I'll bet you they've never come back from it and Terrifier, yeah. and right? It's a little oversaturated on the clowns, but, hey, it works. But I think for me, mm. the movies that have scared me in the past, at, at, at any age, it wasn't so much about the gore but about the work my mind, like Blair Witch Project. Right. Yes. Okay? Yes. The Ring would be an exception. That was just a creepy-looking movie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but movies like that that really got in your head, The Shining. Yes. You know, I saw yes. that when I was way too young. Big mistake. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. That's a good way to say it. It gets inside your head, and, and in a way, you make the, the viewer do the work. You don't mm-hmm. have to hit them over the head with bags of blood and bones and stuff. You you make the viewer's imagination and fears, uh, you know, do the uh, do the work. You know what I'm surprised, though? We have not heard uh, anybody yet mention, I'm looking through my email here, Phantasm, Saw, or The Ring. You just mentioned The Ring. Um, it's, it's, I'm surprised no one's mentioned this one, cut number eight. 
popcorn. You're making popcorn? Uh-huh. I only eat popcorn at the movies. Well, I'm getting ready to watch a video. Really? What? Oh, just some scary movie. You like scary movies? Uh-huh. What's your favorite scary movie? Uh, I don't know. So, you got a boyfriend? <laughs> no. You never told me your name. Why do you want to know my name? I want to know who I'm looking at. Yeah, oh, don't can I don't guess talk it? to wrong numbers, you know. Don't don't do that. Just just hang up. But Scream, right? Nobody mentioned Scream. I would have thought all those sequels, I would have thought we'd get calls on Scream. We um go ahead. There was another movie. See, I, I yeah, Scream. That was Scream, but do you remember when a stranger calls? Mhm. Mhm. That's what that reminded me of. Well, there's only like five or six plots, you know. That's true. Like, you know, the, the, if you think about it, you could throw all these movies into like five or six baskets. You know, where it's like the, uh, like I, even this, this movie Halloween ends. Uh, I won't give away the whole movie, but the opening scene is a babysitter on Halloween night. Hello. <laughs> what a bad uh, night to babysit. There's been like hundreds of movies that started with that, with that scene, with that exact situation. So did you watch Halloween ends? I did. I, I, my review is up at KTSA.com. I shall check it out. So you can check that out right there. We talked about it yesterday. Let's get to Linda on KTSA. Linda, good afternoon. Hi, Jack. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Doing great, thanks. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. So what's your favorite? It's an oldie but a goodie. I always like The Changeling with George C. Scott. Oh, yes. Boy, I forgot I about that one. Nervous. Bizarre to see an old grumpy, well, not grumpy, but a oh, big guy so scared of things that go, they make noise in the middle of the night in your house. It's so for folks that haven't seen The Changeling, tell them, what, tell them what happens in that movie. Tell them what happens to George C. Scott. Okay, so George C. Scott's a grieving father. His wife and child were killed in an accident, and he right. moves out of state, goes to this right. beautiful estate mansion, and then he starts hearing things at night, oh. and it scares him, and then he starts hearing them during the day, and then it's, yep. like, all-consuming, and it builds and builds and builds, and then he finds out that there was a child killed in that house. Yeah. You know, I think what movie. I've learned from movies, Linda, is if you're, if you're going through grief, do not go up to some remote house in the woods by yourself. That is just, that is never the way to do it, you know? Like, you need to be around a lot of people. You don't need to be out in the woods by yourself, right? That's right. You should. It never, no one ever does that, and it has a good ending, right? Oh, yeah, I was out there by myself in the woods for a while, and now I'm happy again. It ne- that is never the way it ends. But, yeah, that's a great, you're right. The cha- I'd forgotten about it. The Changeling is a great one. Linda, thank you. Uh, two ten five nine nine, fifty five fifty five. You know, like like uh, the movie I mentioned earlier, The Game. It's not really a horror movie, but I put it on my list. The Game is a Michael Douglas movie, and Michael Douglas is this rich guy, and he's kind of idle rich. You know, he's got everything going for him, but he's kind of bored. Um, I think he's divorced or separated or something. But anyway, he um, his brother is Sean Penn, so you know there's going to be trouble there. Um, we all have a we all have a brother like that, right? So anyway, Sean Penn gives him a a, a gift of a membership in this shadowy company. No one really knows what it is or what it does. And the premise of this company, this membership, is you have experiences. It's called the game. It's the name of the movie, and that's the name of the the product this company does. Well, the 
it, it's it's horrible. It's everything that could possibly go wrong and happen to Michael Douglas goes wrong. And when I watch it, I think to myself, this is why I re-gift. You know, you give me something like this, I'm turning it around and re-gifting it so fast to make your head spin. I'm not, t- I'm not taking your membership in something I don't know what it is. I probably don't even want your membership in something that I do know what it is. But, you know, he, oh, yeah, he just signs up. He has no idea what he's getting into. Gives them all his financial information. They do a physical exam. He's, <laughs> I mean, he's just, you're, and you're watching this like, don't do it. Kind of like George C. Scott, don't go out there. 210-599-5555. The Ring, don't watch the video. Bert is on KTSA. Hi, Bert. Hey, Jack. Good afternoon. Um, one of the movies I always thought that was kind of creepy was um, Jeepers Creepers. Mm. That's where the brother and sister are taking the road trip and the guy chases them? Well, the the, the part I remember that was the scariest where the the kids are in a football team and they're in a school bus and this weird monster starts uh, mm. attacking them. And, and then that's they Jeepers Creepers 2. Yeah, that's Jeepers Creepers 2, yeah. Okay. Well, that one was pretty scary too. Right? That is good. Have you seen the original one? Have you seen the first one that came before that? Um, I don't remember seeing the first one. I, I just okay, you gotta, you gotta, if, if you like the second one, Bert, if you like the second one, the first one is like ten times better it's I'm not sure. it's 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 brother and I mean, sister try, and they get in a breakdown i'm yeah, sorry what was that i'll try it uh okay it, uh, the second one really really gets me you're not sure you but can I'll take any more of it huh i know i understand I, I i feel you i think there were i think there may have even been a third one i didn't see the third one but yeah the 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 Jeepers Creepers movies especially one the first one is yeah that's, that's a great choice uh bert thank you uh, two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. You know that one. Gosh, now that I think of it, I probably should have put that on my list. I might have to. I might have to do a new list next year. Uh, this may be a one year list. Now that I look at it, I'm. I'm already. I already. I just did it today, and I'm already disappointed in it. Um, let's see. Kurt is on KTSA. Hi, Kurt. Hey, Jack. How are you? Good. Uh, how you doing? So, I'm doing well. The. Uh... The number one for me is The Hills Have Eyes, the, the 2006 uh, Wes Craven a- adaptation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If you ever saw it, it's just it's just it's going to make your your blood. It makes it makes my blood boil. It's just yeah. creepy, you know. Yeah. Uh, can you can you tell us a little about it without spoiling it? Yeah, I can. I can indeed. Uh, so this family is coming back from a vacation in Nevada, and they stop at a gas station, and the attendant. It's just a small, sleepy little gas station. He uh, he tells them, "Oh, here, here's a detour to take," and so mm. he sends them into some radio some uh, radioactive uh, fallout territory where these people, these people who have eyes, mm. uh, live in caves uh, from from the 40s, and they're just wow. creepy people. And the, boy, one of the actors spe- speaking of uh, you mentioned um, uh, Silence of the Lambs. One of the actors is the guy that played either the detective or the or Buffalo Bill. I can't remember. Uh, he's in he's in that movie. Oh, okay. That, that came out in '06. And and two others, real quick, Jack, if I could. Uh, uh, Open Water. I don't know if you saw that one. That's that's not a that's not a uh, a horror movie, but it's about this couple that get left behind on a cruise 
or on a uh, scuba trip. Oh. And it's based on a true story. Mm-hmm. And then also seven. Here's another one. Seven with Brad Pitt, Morgan Freeman. Man, I, I forgot uh, about Kevin seven. Spacey. You're right. Oh, that I think I just I think I just I think I just gave away. I think I take that is a great away. one. <laughs> yeah, that is yes. when boy when Brad Pitt opens that box. That mm-hmm. is that is an epic scene. That is some great Absolutely. good stuff. Those are good. I want to check out The Hills Have Eyes because I've heard about that for years and I've never seen it. I got to check that out. Kurt, thank you for that. Appreciate it. Thanks to everybody who called on this by the way. We got some great ones. And you can keep sending them to me jack at ktsa.com. You know what we need in this country? And it's high time we had it. We need some uh a new form of racism. And just in time, what? You don't agree? We need it. We need some new. We need some new racism. You know, we've been talking about the same old racism for so long. We need new racism, and and the New York Times has come to the rescue. Uh, recently, columnist Charles Blow, writing in the New York Times, wrote: "As the U.S. becomes less white, white supremacy could be replaced by or buffeted by a form of light supremacy, L-I-T-E, in which fairer-skinned people of color." perpetuate a modified anti-blackness rather than eliminating it. See, the, the left needs racism, and they can't afford anything to happen to racism. So as it gets older and tired, they need to come up with a younger, more vital version of it. And this is it. We're going to have a new kind of white supremacy called light supremacy. And he was teeing off of the story we talked about it the other day. You probably have heard about it, or you may have heard us talk about it, but uh, there's a big, big political scandal in Los Angeles where uh, some city council members may have to resign. Some other people have already gotten in the soup, and it's because they were um, caught on tape. These are Hispanic political figures, major figures in, in L.A. politics, um, going after uh, black people in, in really ugly um, terms and, and not only ugly words, but ugly sentiments, uh, mocking white people who are allied with black people, mocking Native Americans. And his point is these are, these are light-skinned people of color, you know, dissing darker-skinned people. And he says um, he thinks that white supremacy could be replaced by light supremacy. But what's interesting is he's not he's not saying, God forbid this happen. He's sort of like, wouldn't it be interesting if... And, and that to me is sick. I mean, that's like seeing a house on fire and going, well, let's see which uh, part of it catches next, you know. I think there's a I think there's a lower supply of white supremacy than leftists would like. I'm not saying it doesn't exist. It does. I always got to say that, and I'm not just saying it. I mean it. But just just so no one will mistake what I'm saying, it, it's not that racism is over or there isn't any. You've never experienced it, so you don't know. No, I I know it exists. I I acknowledge it. I I accept it. I know it exists. But there's not enough of it. For the people that want to exploit it, we're not we're not making enough of it, finding enough of it. So we need a new version of it. And I don't think this is the first time people have tried this. 
I read an article recently in the Texas Tribune. It was about Asian Americans, and the headline was they're um, ignored. They're one of the fastest-growing demographics, and they're ignored. But the Texas Tribune, being a liberal outfit, is only interested in Asian Americans who are voting for Democrats. So the one they interview, the one they center the whole story on, is uh, a man who is a a young Asian-American man, a Chinese-American software engineer who lives, I think, uh, I think he lives somewhere up near Dallas. But anyway, he's, he's really upset about the Dobbs decision. And they make him the surrogate for all Asian Americans. Well, they're all going to vote for the Democrats. They're all horrified by January 6th. And they're all, they're all Democrats or future Democrats. Now, none of that's true. But here's what's going to trip up the, the theory about making Asian Americans, um, the new target of racism. And again, I'm generalizing, and I know that I am, and I, I don't like generalizing, but I'm going to in this instance. I don't think you're going to find too many Asian Americans who see themselves as victims or, or want to or will. And see, that's necessary to politicians. They don't just want to talk about racism. They don't want to just decry it. They need there to be a group of people who have fallen and can't get up, right? You can't get an ID, so you won't be allowed to vote. You can't go to college because it's rigged. You won't be allowed to do The banks don't want your money, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it, it, you have to be, for, for them to be interested in you, it's, it's not just the color of your skin. It's your willingness to be deployed as a victim and your willingness to embrace victimhood. And there's a funny thing, but when it comes to most Asian Americans I've known in my life, they are the last people who will go along with that. I mean, you can put that script in front of them, but they will not read it. They do not see themselves as victims. They do not see themselves as uh, dependent on government. They uh, will study harder than anyone else. They will work harder than anyone else. So you can try, and I know they're going to try, and they are trying right now. But I think this is a group of voters who will not lend themselves to one party, either one of them, in fact. I don't think this is a group of voters that will even really be a block. They may be in some places right now. I mean, I'm sure you can go to certain cities with a large Asian population and say, well, they predominantly vote for this or that. But I think generally across the country, this is going to be a group that doesn't, uh, you can't, you can't play them the way other groups have allowed themselves to be played. I'm sorry to say that, but it's the truth. Be mad at me if you want, but, you know, if you're an African-American voter, you may be thinking for yourself, you may be thinking independently, but you have to admit African-American voters have been counted on and taken for granted by the Democratic Party. Just as an example, you can't deny that's true, even if it's not true of you. But I don't think that's even going to work for a block of or a substantial number of um, Asian American voters. And and that's the thing about this Texas Tribune article is they're only interested in it if they can make basically make Asian Americans the new the new players on the old field.
210-599-5555. So there was this crazy thing in L.A. where these politicians were caught on tape, really uh, acting like fools and, and being very hateful. And here are people who, in their political careers, have played both sides of the street. They are victims of racism. They are defenders of the downtrodden. Now they've achieved power and prestige, and they're shooting the breeze and smoking their cigars and making fun of the little people who are darker skinned than them. I, I, I'm sad to say this, but I think that's the human condition, and I don't know that any of us are really very surprised by that. We, we may disapprove of it, but you can't, you can't tell me you, you fell out of your chair when you heard this story. I, and, and the thing about, Racism as a political tool is that there simply isn't enough of the real thing to go around for all of the politicians and all of the moments they would like to exploit. And that's where you get, you know, sort of doctored, fictionalized, uh, exaggerated. That's where you get the creation of new categories. That's where you get a guy in the New York Times. Uh, writing about how maybe this is the new, uh, the new white supremacy is light supremacy. And that's where you get the Texas Tribune going, hey, you know, we could make Asian Americans, uh, play the role that we used to make Mexican Americans and African Americans play. And I don't know, maybe they'll pull that off. I think they're going to have a hard time doing it. I, I, I think that's not going to work. A, because I think the people they're trying to work it on are different. And B, because I think we're all a little wiser to the way they play the game, these politicians and these political leaders. And Greg is on KTSA. Greg, good afternoon. Hello. Hey, Greg. Hey, how are you doing? I am fine. How are you? Good. Well, I'm calling in because I am Asian American. I see myself as an American. I don't go, I don't think Hispanic American. Everybody's just an American, whoever they are. Right, right. But I can tell you this, you're, you're dead on. People, and I'm sure, you know, they've got Asian Americans who are going to vote uh, Democrat and liberals, and there's all conservatives. I'm towards the conservative side. And, yeah, I mean, I don't know anybody that I know of who feels like, oh, I would, or ever have talked to anyone through the years of my life who's Asian who says, oh, I'm a victim or acts that way. We just are taught, basically, you just work harder and outbest them. That's it. You know, don't let anybody keep you down. Work hard. Do as, do everything you can to move forward in a good way. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've really never had too much, really, racism towards myself anyway. I can, I can count one hand how many times mm-hmm. that's happened. And again, mm-hmm. to me, that person is uh, basically, you feel sorry for that person because they're just an ignorant person mm-hmm. if they do it mm-hmm. to anybody. So, it, you know, to me... I don't see this as, oh, we're a block of people you can control. No. We're going to think the way, you know, again, I've got people who are in my family who are liberals, and I've got people who are conservatives. It's just like anybody else. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I, I know when I was a kid, um, we were seeing the, um, they called them the boat people, you know, the refugees from Cambodia and Vietnam. Mm-hmm. And they were coming to this country, and it was they were they were brand new to this country, and I remember hearing adults say, "Well, they're hard workers, and they've got the right idea, but give it a few generations, right?" And 
And yet, I don't think now that we've given it a few generations, I don't think that's happened. I don't think they have lent themselves to that kind of use usefulness that politicians were hoping for. And, and I think, in fact, if anything, um, it's pretty it's pretty remarkable to me when you look at like the lawsuits involving the Ivy League schools and the discrimination um, on these entry exams. It's pretty clear that they're not playing the game. They're not lending themselves to the politicians no it's 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 like i said you just keep on moving forward you you do fight if you need to but it's like you're not looking to do so you just make sure everything's fair and move forward i mean back in the day um back before i was born there was a thing called the asian exclusion act Mm -hmm. you couldn't Mm -hmm. be a citizen you couldn't vote Mm -hmm. if you're asian it didn't matter if you're here three four generations Right. Uh, kind of nutty. I mean, it sounds like something out of a science fiction book, but that's the way it was back then. But it's kind of it didn't stop anybody from moving forward and doing what they needed to do to make a good living and be uh, a good citizen and, and help out with the rest of the society. Do you think maybe uh, part of that, Greg, is that and I'm thinking of of people I know, like a friend of mine who's from the Philippines does not see himself as the same as somebody who's from, you know, China or somebody who's Taiwanese thinks they are, they're in a completely different category than, you know what I mean? So they, we might call them all Asian Americans. The politicians or the census might do that. But in fact, these are people that have a specific lineage and they're very proud of it and they're very particular about it. Yeah, I, uh, that's, uh, that's 100% true. Everybody gets thrown into a big, big uh, category there but there are a lot of differences between everybody but then again if you're over here as an american we try to assimilate mm-hmm. right. and that's one of the right. things you assimilate into the culture the right. they want you to you know parents grandparents etc they want you to learn the language they want you to get an education they want you to move forward right. sometimes hey you might not be you might be working in a shop or you might be working doing something else that's fine as long as you're doing it well Right. And it's, uh, right. you know, no, nobody's nobody's going to be put into a box. Yeah, well, they're they're sure going to try. I think we I think we know that. <laughs> but I share your optimism that it's not going to work too well. Greg, good to talk to you. Thank you for calling our show. Thank you for listening to our show. I appreciate it. Uh, 210-599-5555. You mentioned the Asian Exclusion Act. Um, I read this, it was either today or yesterday. I'd never heard this story before. Apparently at one time, Levi's, the jeans people, Levi's would sell you jeans. Let me back up for a minute. This this came up because a very, very, very old pair of denim jeans went up for auction. And, I mean, that's worth like five or six figures. I guess people collect them. And it turns out that at one time, Levi's would sell you jeans with a card or a label that said made with white labor because they also sold jeans that were made in Chinese American sweatshops, basically. In other words, they, they had these uh, immigrant workers who were working, you know, I'm sure very cheap and probably under bad conditions. So, but if you were, uh, you know, um, Somehow repulsed by the idea that your 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 denim jeans had been sewn by by Chinese hands, you could have white labor 
Chinese genes. I mean, this was a thing. I mean, this this happened, and and the the Chinese Exclusion Act happened, and the internment of Japanese Americans during World War II. We've mentioned it a few times recently. Um, all of these are experiences that could have and still can be used by politicians to say you are victims. You have never had a shot. You um, you need us, but you've got to give us your total loyalty and vote for us every time, all the time, up and down the ballot. And I don't think it's going to work. I think it's unraveling with the groups with whom it did work. Not all at once. It's going to take a while, but it's unraveling. It's fraying. And I think it's going to be hard to play that going forward, to start that with another group of people, whoever they may be. And again, there's still way too many people in this country who really do think, really do buy or drink the Kool-Aid that because they are this or they are that, um, a political party is indispensable to them. The most power you're ever going to have with politicians is when they can't count on you, when they don't know what you're going to do, when they are worried about what you're going to do or how you're going to vote. That's when you'll have the most power you can ever have and conversely when they think they do know when you let them when you're saluting them and giving them the thumbs up totally i'm with you that's when you got no power you like two weeks of early voting or should everyone vote on the same day uh since early voting is getting set to start um and by the way a tip of the headphones to the folks at um texas scorecard because i I borrowed this question from them. I thought it was a good question, so we used it as our poll question. Um, here's how you voted. 72% said they like two weeks of early voting, and 28% said we all should vote on the same day. Um, I read an interesting, it was kind of like a thought piece, I guess. Uh, this was in the Wall Street Journal. I read this over the weekend. You remember the term McMansion? which I think it means big, sort of ugly, or at least not architecturally pleasing houses. You know, people will will go into a neighborhood, they'll knock down the house that's there, and they'll put up one that's bigger than the other houses around it and doesn't really go with the neighborhood, and they call those McMansions, I guess, right? The new thing is McBasements. McBasements. Apparently, in places around the country where zoning limits the size of the house you can build above ground, it doesn't prevent you from going deeper. And so people are building huge, in terms of square footage, huge houses, but there's way more of it underground than above ground. So the above ground part meets the local zoning, matches the you know, maybe the HOA or the appearance of the of the houses that are already in the neighborhood, but then it's got like three levels. And people are putting in um, not just a bigger basement, but sometimes multi-level. They're putting their guest rooms, two, three, four stories. Uh, so their guest rooms are down there. Their man caves are down there. Bars, bowling alleys, underground swimming pools, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, they are using skylights or high-tech lighting that simulates sunlight, I guess. Down is the new up, says one architect. 
Um, and uh, the word basement, he says, will in the near future not have negative connotations. It will sound rich and, uh, you know, full of full of uh, possibilities. So I I guess that's I guess that's a good thing. I I mean, my first thought was that we probably will not see that happen here because most houses here don't have any basement. Uh, and there's obviously good reasons for that. Uh, but in places where you can, I guess people are, are doing it. Um, and by the way, there's very little of this that has anything to do with the bunker mentality. You know, if you'd, if I told you so and so is building his basement or digging a basement years, you know, you would have thought recently, especially, you would have thought, oh, prepping or, oh, uh, you know, the purge or whatever. Um, no, these are, these, these are people that, that are actually going to spend parts of every day using these rooms just like you would use the above ground rooms in your house. And don't they don't think of them as more sheltered or getting away from it all or whatever. How would you feel about that? How would you feel about spending a lot of time basically underground. I mean, I know for me, I, I expect to be spending a lot of time underground, you know, relatively soon, but, but I'm talking about like living underground. Would you be good? Are you one of those people? I think it's going to come down to, are you one of those people that needs to be able to look out a window? And there are people that just can't, even if their office or their workplace doesn't have a window, it's like drives them crazy. And then there's other people that I think are probably not really bothered by that. I kind of like the sound of this, to be honest with you. I, I guess there could be drawbacks, and you could have to worry about water and structural and all that. But, I mean, if you, and these are obviously people with money. If you had the money and you lived in a place where you could have a basement, would you want more of your house below ground than above it? And, you know, another thing I think would be kind of cool is that um, no nosy neighbors, right? <laughs> Nobody can. Nobody knows what scary movies you're watching when you're three stories underground. All right. Um, tomorrow we'll have a new poll question. And you can always catch our show where and when you want it, wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen on demand to this show. Just go to the on-demand page at KTSA.com.